Good morning. Easter Sunday, it was one of the brightest days in Bible history. Maybe it will only be outdone when Jesus returns and the whole world sees him in all his glory. One of the brightest days in all of history, and yet the followers of Jesus were the saddest, most frightened, and bewildered people in all the world that day. Their joy, their enthusiasm, their passion for serving Christ was basically gone. It was just last Sunday, right? Palm Sunday, the roaring fires of passion and excitement and the shouts of praise. Hosanna, you're the king, save us. <laughs> they were silent. Nothing was going on. Their faith was smoldering at best. The faith of the two disciples, uh, as uh, Phil read in, in Luke chapter 24, uh, their, their faith was hanging on by a thread. It's much the same for the disciples in the upper room. And even the women who went to the tomb to honor Jesus that last time, they were frightened, they were unsure, they were unsettled. And you know what? If I was them, <laughs> that would have been me. All those negative emotions and uncertainties, uncertainties were about to be changed because when you see Jesus who's dead, three days later alive, you have to be changed. It would have to change your life. But I want you to know something. We don't have to see Jesus alive. We just need to believe his word. And that will change your life and your direction and your purpose. And rekindle the fire of your faith. We can't see Jesus today, but he is alive and he is near. We have what we need to love Christ and to keep our passion burning hot because Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs> Don't be slow of heart. Jesus told those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Believe what the word of God, what Jesus said about himself and the word of God and Moses and the prophets of old have said that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins so that and died so that we could have life. And what's ahead is amazing and beautiful. Jesus is risen. <laughs> Let the truth sink in. and serve him differently because it's true. The women at the tomb, <laughs> they were in despair. What's despair's cause? Well, it was misunderstanding. I wanted to, we're in Luke chapter 24. Keep your finger there if you have a Bible open. You can turn to, to Mark chapter 16 because Mark gives this account. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So they got up early before dark and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. 
And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The discussion to the tomb focused on what? That big old stone. (laughs) And after the angel's message, they were filled with trembling. They were filled with astonishment. What's going on? They didn't understand it. They were filled with fear. And you know what? I totally understand. They were overwhelmed. There was the shock of Good Friday. Jesus had died, this beloved one, the one they believed was the Savior, the Messiah, the Chosen One. They had entrusted their whole lives to him. They were supporting him. They loved him. And it seemed to be all dashed, so they were in shock. We read in, in Luke chapter 24, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, their faces had said they were looking sad. They just stopped when Jesus said, what are you talking about? And they said, haven't you heard? And they just stopped. You know, I can just see him looking down. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, they said. We had hoped. We had banked on it. The disciples in the upper room. In Luke Chapter 24, verse 9, it says, The women came to them, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them told these things to the apostles. I love this. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The NIV, the New International Version, says, (laughs) It seemed like nonsense. You're dreaming it. You're hoping beyond hope. Misunderstanding of God's salvation plan that Jesus had to die, that Jesus would be raised again to life. You know what all these disciples had? They still really loved Jesus. He was a theme of their conversations, even on that morning. They were still loyal. They believed his purposes were noble. They believed he was sent to redeem Israel. They still loved Jesus, but they had lost confidence that he truly was able to save and deliver Israel. They lacked the understanding of God's salvation plan. That it was a bigger plan than just saving Israel. It was a big plan to save the whole world, Gentiles and Jews. Through Christ. They didn't understand that the cross was necessary. They were convinced that the Jewish religious leaders in their power seats and the Romans who were ruling and oppressing them had won. We lost. We're defeated. Rome's yoke was still here. The Pharisees were still in charge. They had hoped that the deliverance would be just the way Moses was. Do you remember Moses' deliverance from from the people in Egypt? I mean, it was spectacular. Miracles happened. Jesus did miracles. God delivered them. The Passover lamb was killed. We thought Jesus was the Passover lamb. We thought we'd be delivered and, and be set free. But it wasn't working out. Jesus was greater than Moses, or at least we thought he was. We thought he was going to clean up the whole world and once again Israel would be on top 
and the whole world would come and worship here in Israel and Jerusalem. I tell you what, I know how, I can understand how they felt. How about you? Their enthusiasm, their belief, their faith, it had really cooled off. They hadn't forgotten about Jesus, but they were filled with despair. They were filled with disappointment. They were throwing in the towel. You know, that's a boxer term. It's when you're done, when you're finished, you throw in your towel from your corn. You say, I'm beaten, I'm defeated. They were ready to throw in the towel. They were ready to raise the white flag. Surrender. <laughs> we thought we were going to win. Jesus was going to give us the victory, but we're going to have to wait. We had hoped Jesus would overcome them but apparently he and we are defeated. You ever throw in the towel on a do-it-yourself project at home? <laughs> Gonna save money? <laughs> yeah. You throw in the towel, you raise a white flag, you call the plumber, you call the mechanic, you call the carpenter because you're wasting so much time and it's worse than it was before you started. You surrender. <laughs> I'm glad to see a lot of smiling faces because, yeah, uh, I can relate to you. <laughs> Are you familiar with Moses' story? He threw in the towel. For 40 years, he was chasing sheep in the desert. He thought he was a deliverer of Israel. And you know, he was. But it didn't work out the way he thought it was supposed to work out 40 years later. It did work. And how about the prophet Elijah, just another great example. The man who prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. The man who prayed and fire came down from heaven in answer to his prayer. The man who prayed seven times and then it did rain again at his word. And then when Jezebel, that wicked queen, threatened his life, he raised a white flag. He said, I'm finished. It's over. Just take me home now, Lord. I'm done. Sometimes we let the fire go out, the passion and the faith that we have. We kind of give up hope. We've been hurt by people who we serve with, who we study the Bible with. You know, ideas clash. Hurtful words are spoken. We get worn out by doing good deeds and feel like no one's helping us or noticing us. We feel alone. We feel taken for granted. Maybe we get bitter. So we hide, we sulk, we give up. Kind of happy to sit back and wait for Jesus to come back and take us home, whichever comes first. You know, we still love God, we still love Jesus, but we find ourselves doubting that he can do what he promised that he would do. See, Jesus is risen. Thank you. <laughs> and Jesus delivered us from sin's penalty and he made us his children. But he did more than that. He made us co-laborers. So we don't get to sit down and be afraid or we can't sit back and be sipping our iced tea. Relaxing. We're not to surrender, but to engage the world with the good news that Jesus is the Christ. 
So what's the cure for despairing, disillusioned, doubtful disciples? Well, the cure is a risen Savior who reminds us again of his truth from his word. Look at the tomb in verse chapter 24 of Luke in verses four through eight. What did the angel say? While they were perplexed about this, you know, there's no body there. It says in verse four, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day arise. And they remembered his words. His words can be trusted. Remember his words. The angels reminded the women what Jesus had said. They reminded him of his word, of his promises, what was true. On the road to Emmaus, we read some of those verses in verse 27 of Luke 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is not far, is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us in the road, while we opened to us what? The scriptures, the word of God changed their whole outlook when they began to understand it. It strengthened their faith. Again, it's the same for the disciples in the upper room. Look at verses 44 through 48. Jesus appeared to them and he ate some fish. <laughs> then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. <laughs> you get the point, right? I don't think I need to say anymore. This is what I told you. Then he opened their minds to the scriptures. Trust God's word. Believe it. Embrace its truth. And if you're not sure it's true, then ask God to help you to believe it and to apply it. To stop you from throwing in the towel or doubting, raising the right flag of surrender. It would really be cool to have Jesus like open up the scriptures, right? Just tie it all together through all the different books, you know, like I say, connect the dots, just make it this complete picture. But he sent the Holy Spirit so we can do that. 
God doesn't hide from us what we need to know about salvation. Our Savior wants us to know how to live for his glory. He wants you to know what the purpose of your life is and, and why, uh, what he wants you to do and how you can spread the kingdom of God now in our life while we're waiting for him to come back. How to do his work well, his kingdom stuff well now. It, it will impact our generation that we live in now. Read it and hear what God is telling us. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, just before he was crucified, he says, he will guide you into all truth. So God the Father has sent us the spirit of God. Jesus Christ has sent the spirit of God, the replacement, the comforter, the perfect one to help us know. But guess what? You and I need to read it. We need to study it. We need to ask questions. We need to seek help from others. We need to ask God to help us. We need to meditate on it to apply it, not just to know it, but then to use it in life. But we're not alone, so we can do this. <laughs> How foolish you are. We're so much like them. How foolish we are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Found this wonderful psalm. There aren't too many psalms that aren't wonderful, by the way. <laughs> Listen to what it says. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of the grave laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called in the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's now. And if you've believed in him, that's forever. I will walk in the land of the living. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amazing words of truth from God to us. This isn't pop psychology. This isn't the power of positive thinking. The Holy Spirit is telling you and me this morning and is convincing us that our God is good and that Jesus is alive. The disciples who were deep in despair and fearful, fearful suddenly became bold messengers because they understood the scriptures and when God's word is received, it causes a fire to burn in your heart and life that will never go out. Winning a million dollars will not automatically make your life good. But it sure does sound intriguing, doesn't it? <laughs> I'd like to try it sometime. You know, having relief from financial stress would really be an amazing gift from God. But the wealthy can be very miserable people sometimes. You read about them in People magazine. Some of you read about them in People magazine. You at least read the covers. <laughs> 
owning the best of the best and getting the stuff we want but don't really necessarily need will not ultimately make your life good, but we keep trying it anyway. Even good health is a really precious gift. But even it doesn't really answer the big questions of life, does it? Your purpose doesn't fix relationships, concerns about evil and death and war or eternity. It doesn't give us any answers, but Jesus Christ does. He's the answer to all our key issues because he conquered sin for us. He gave us life and he gives us new life when we admit that we need a savior. So we're freed from sin's hold, freed from our passions that take us down wrong paths. He gives us a new way of thinking. He helps us pursue noble things, better things. In Christ, I can actually begin to love others the way I love myself. His words, his life, his will, his grace is a cure for our despair. We receive new direction and new purpose. Hey, are you a student? <laughs> Who are you anyway? You're trying to figure that out. What are you supposed to be doing? What's God's call in your life? Why did he make you? <laughs> well, whatever you do, keep Jesus and his kingdom as part of your life and it will give you direction. Hey, parents, you're not worried about the world your kids are growing up in, are you? Grandparents, you're not worried about getting to the end before it all falls apart, hoping you get there first. But Jesus is a rock. He takes away our despair because his word can be trusted. He's walking with us. Rekindled faith. How do you get rekindled faith? A faith that rekindles the fire. Just want to look again at Luke chapter 24. Look at verses 46 through 49 of Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance or turning for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see, Jesus is alive. And being an eyewitness of Jesus being buried, or let me start before that, dying, you see him die. Many of you have been in the room when someone you loved has died. And then you see them buried. Imagine how you would feel if you saw them come back to life. That's a life changer. <laughs> it's all inspiring. And that's what this event was for these disciples. But I want you to know something. <laughs> millions and millions, the majority of believers in Christ have never seen Jesus alive. There's about 500 people that got to see Jesus back, come back to life. So 
I don't know about you, but I'm one of the millions of millions who have never seen him alive. But God's word is enough. The witness of these people are enough to rekindle the flames in my own life, in your life, to inspire us to live for God forever until he comes back, until Jesus returns or takes us home. Jesus is alive and Jesus is near. And the disciples who walk with him needed to get used to the idea that Jesus is alive and Jesus is near. But I can't see him. You ever think about this? Jesus appeared. He spoke. And then he vanished. And then he appeared again in those 40 days. He spoke. And then he vanished. To get those disciples used to not having him there, but knowing that he was near. That he was with them, even though they couldn't see him. That the Holy Spirit was there to, to teach them, to guide them, to help them. Jesus is alive, Jesus is near, and even though you can't see him, it's true. His word is enough, the spirit of God is with us, so read his word, study it, hear it, and obey it. You ever get caught not listening, but you say you were? I never, that never happens to me. What did I just say? Oh, I hate that question. Uh, Could you say that again? (laughs) I caught the first part of it. (laughs) Don't let that happen with God's word. Hear it. Listen. I thought it was kind of interesting in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, since we just talked about a million dollars. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus is enough. And surely, he said, when he disappeared that last time, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Risen Savior, rekindled fire. Doubting Thomas, I won't believe he's alive unless I can stick my finger in his hands and my hand in his side. Well, he never got to do that because when Jesus was standing there in his presence, he just bowed down and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed is the one who hasn't seen and believes. We have enough. A risen Savior, his word, he is near. Believe and receive eternal life today. Great blessing awaits for you if you will trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the risen Savior. Great blessing. Forgiveness is there with him. New life that leads to heaven is there. But it doesn't doesn't start in heaven. It begins now. Hope for a great future, but 
changing of person and direction, help with your mind and your thinking and how you live your life. Purpose and comfort are all there because Jesus is risen. Jesus' word is enough because Jesus is near. This morning, let that truth that Jesus is risen and he's risen indeed sink in anew this day. Let's pray. Father, Father in heaven, we believe you are God Almighty and maker of heaven and earth. Jesus, we believe you are the risen Lord and Savior. Your death in our place is enough to rescue us from sin and death. Holy Spirit, open up our eyes so we see and believe the wonderful things that are true that your word tells us. Do this, we ask, so that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is praised forever and exalted as he alone deserves. We pray this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.